Hey, everybody. Just Gabe here this week. We've got a bonus episode for you. We wanted to present something from a member of the CJN podcast, Mishpucha. If you didn't listen to the CJN Daily earlier this week, I believe the episode came out on Tuesday. Ellen interviewed Mitch Garber, who is uh, one of the minority owners of the Seattle Kraken hockey team, the newest team in the NHL. Uh, Mitch has got a really interesting career. He is from Montreal. He is Jewish. Uh, he worked on uh, the Montreal Alouettes, bringing them back to the CFL. He's also working on bringing back the Expos, chasing that dream. So the episode of the CJN Daily Podcast is only you know, 20, 15 minutes. Uh, we wanted to air the full interview because it's an excellent chat, chatting about you know, Mitch's time in Seattle, his time as a philanthropist and businessman in Montreal. Um, what's it like, you know, in his career and ownership and sports betting, something we talk to a lot, talk about a lot, um, as well, uh, just sort of catching up on what it's like to have a new hockey team. So we're thrilled to present the full unabridged interview with Mitch. Uh, please enjoy like, and subscribe to our podcast, as well as to the CJN daily and the entire CJN podcast network without further ado, let's get cracking. And joining me now from Montreal is Mitch Garber. Welcome to the CJN Daily. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to have you and nice to meet you. Sorry about the team loss last night, 4-2 to two against the Kings. Yeah, I watched it till almost 1 o'clock in the morning. So that's the one probably drawback of being part owner of a team that's based in, the, uh, you know, in, in that time zone. Right, and also it wasn't easy to watch because this is one of the games that was on Hulu and some of the other non-easy access networks right of the of this of the season it was one of the few games but i was able to watch it so <laughs> we're okay i just watched it on the internet listen um you know i wanted to congratulate you on being one of the uh part owners of this seattle kraken team and we'll get into that in a minute but um i wanted to to play something for you because uh, in case our listeners don't know uh, you tweeted to Mitch Melnick in Montreal that if you weren't in you know, business, you'd be hosting the drive show in Montreal recently. Right. And I want to know if you I'm going to share my screen and uh, if you can hear this. What is this? Yeah. You already know. Of course. Yeah, that's the first ever episode of the Sports Hot Seat. Uh, we had the Expo General Manager at the time, Dan, get on. It's uh, 1993, so 7, 21, 28 years ago, which is really incredibly hard to believe. I guess we all have that same phenomenon in our lives. We look back and we see pictures or videos, and then we can't believe that it's possible that anything in our lives is 30 years ago. So, yeah, that's a TV show that Mitch and I co-hosted here in Montreal. And why was he, why was Dan Duquette your first guest? Well, you know, at the time, the Expo's general manager was a big get for us. Um, and we liked Dan a lot as a person. He was very, and still is very well respected and well regarded in professional baseball. Um, and he supported us, which was, which was great. You know, um, an American that was here in, in Montreal and that saw that we were doing our first show together. And, um, and so he, he agreed to come on and, and just, you know, as a, in parenthesis, Mitch and I were able to get every major sports celebrity that we wanted, whether it was Henri Richard or Guy Lafleur or 
Bob Gainey or, uh, or Marquise Grissom and Delano DeShields and everyone we wanted at the time came. Um, and it was a bit out of the way. It was on uh, Ogilvy Avenue, you know, near TMR. It wasn't near where any of the players lived and certainly wasn't near the Olympic Stadium. So we've got some great video. Um, unfortunately, we use it now more often than not to go back and get the tapes of um, guests of ours that have sadly passed away. And we have some real treasures. And so we've had, you know, Dickie Moore and Ari Richard and Ted Blackman and George Balkin and Red Story and Red Fisher. And I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a sad, but um, it's a sad list to go through, but it's nice to have those video memories to play for people. I remember working at 405 Ogilvy Avenue also <laughs> when I started my first job at CFCF when I was 18 years old in my address. Yeah, it's a famous address. It is a famous address. And it's cool that you have two Jewish guys, you know, hosting what was the top rated show, you know, even though it was, I mean, if you look at it now with the jackets and, and the hair and well, some of us had more hair too, and it yeah. wasn't great, but we won't go there, <laughs> you know, but you know, you also, you said Pete Mahovlich isn't in the hall of fame. You had him on your show, right? Uh, I played golf with him about a month ago. Um, yeah. I had him on the show. I think we probably had him more than once. Uh, both Mitch and I are big fans of Pete. So we enjoy talking to him anytime that we can. And how do you get this movement to get him in the hall of fame? What, why isn't he in there? You know, um, I haven't been that close to the Hall of Fame, but, you know, I do think that in hockey, it's it's maybe a bit different than baseball, where you do need uh, a bit of a movement behind you. And, you know, I'm not enough of a movement, but I think if enough people looked at Pete's career and what contribution he made to the teams that won, so even if his stats don't necessarily um, look like Hall of Fame goals and assist stats, um, what he was able to accomplish as a teammate and a leader on those teams. And you have to remember, guys Pete's size didn't exist in the 70s. Um, people obviously must be getting taller because, you know, Pete was, he st he'd still be very tall in the NHL, but there are a lot of six foot four, six foot five inch players today that weigh 240 pounds. And Pete was like, you know, almost one of a kind at the time. So let's start a movement. We'll get the CJN uh, colleagues, my Menschwarmer colleagues, and uh, yeah. we'll get, I mean, you know, we, we Jews, can get Jew, Jews for Pete. We could do that. It'd be fun, actually. <laughs> He'd appreciate it. He'd appreciate it. But, you know, Jews in hockey has become very big this year, uh, including recently the forward did a piece on, you know, Jews in hockey are having a moment. So this is why I'm happy to have you on. Not only are you an owner, but there's so many players that are becoming, um, you know, uh, a thing who wear number 18, for example. Uh, you know, I'm sure you're aware of, of Zach Hyman, right? Yeah, so um, Zach Hyman, yes. And Zach Hyman is currently uh, in probably... Carrying up the, the goal. Best, well, he's, he's probably in the best position that a hockey player could ask to be in in the NHL, which is to be on a line with Dreisaitl and McDavid. Quite spectacular. And, um, you know, I, I, I actually only recently learned that Jack Hughes was Jewish and he's a great uh, player, number Twin, one pick overall. By the when you're putting a team together, you, you know, let's talk about the Kraken now. Um, you know, you, what role do you have, if any, in actually selecting with analytics and all that, the actual players in the drafts? Are you at all involved with that? No, I'm not. And I think that um, owners, you know, by and large, um, should probably not be involved. That doesn't mean that a Jerry Jones or a Jeff Molson or 
um, you know, or Tenenbaum shouldn't be involved. I'm just saying, generally speaking, um, we are fans and we watch the games. We love the game. We've played the game. But by and large, you know, you have to be very careful not to think yourself an expert. The way that scouts look at the game, the way that analysts now, business analysts and statistical analysts look at the game, the way that people like Ron Francis, who's the fourth leading scorer all time, who's been a general manager, the way he looks at players and looks at the, at, at the game, you know, is many, 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 many levels above the way that I could look at a game or at a player. And so I don't trick myself into thinking that, you know, I have, um, I have anything to, to add. If I knew something about a player's personality and I knew it personally, and I thought that that might be something that was worthwhile for Ron to know, I would tell it to him. Let's let's unpack that a little bit. You know, what is it that you do besides cheer for the team? For yeah, the so, okay. So besides cheer for the team, um, I try to help the majority owner, who's a very dear friend of mine, David Bonderman, with, um, you know, lots of business-related decisions. First of all, there's an executive committee, and then there's a group of owners as well um, that all have something to add. Andy Jassy's the CEO of Amazon. Dave Wright owns the Space Needle. Adrian Hanauer owns the Sounders, which is the soccer team. Um, the Ackerley brothers used to own the Sonics. Um, you know, and I can go on and on. And there's, you know, there's a few other really great contributors. So everyone adds something. You have to remember that for the fans, it's a hockey team. Um, for the ownership group, it's a $1.3 billion arena, um, which is a, the first carbon net zero arena in all of in all of sports and entertainment. Uh, it's a $650 million franchise fee. It's an $80 million salary cap. It's a $200 million arena plus franchise fee for an AHL team in Coachella Valley. It's a practice facility in Northgate just outside of downtown Seattle. Um, so it becomes a two point something billion dollar enterprise. And it has a CEO, Todd Lewacki. It has an, a, you know, a full management team. It has everything you would have in a $2 billion company. So the hockey decisions, you know, would be the least of the worries of, you know, David Bonderman, as long as he has confidence, which of course he does in Todd Lewecki and Ron Francis and Dave Haxtell. So, um, so when you say, what do you do? You know, there are lots of big decisions to be made, whether they're marketing decisions or, or pricing decisions or business regard, business decisions, sponsorship. Um, and just to be in the meetings and be able to participate in those decisions is something that I feel honored to do. And to be perfectly honest, the, C the CEO and the COO, CFO, um, they get to make most of the decisions because they're smart and they know how to run a business. But your expertise is online gaming, of course. Uh, well, so, you know, That's one what, of the is, things, yeah. what are your input into that? What is your input, yeah. if at all, in the future? So, yeah, I've run a number of companies and gaming happens to be part of my past and it is a, a part of my past that I'm uh, particularly um, happy about because I you know I, I think I've done uh, quite well for that industry and making that industry a respectable industry and the NHL the NBA the NFL they're all opening their arms to um, online betting fantasy in-game betting and so um, certainly I will have input into how our team embraces uh, that technology. And, um, and, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure that the, the people on the board and the owners will turn to me. Um, and I will be more than happy when the time comes. The state of Washington has quite strict gaming regulations and rules, and I respect them. 
Um, and if they are to change um, to favor, you know, forms of gaming that involve the team, then certainly I will, uh, I'll weigh in. Now, Canada has, uh, you know, when you watch hockey or you watch any sports, there's Georges St. Pierre on bet99.net and then there's Bodog. Of course, these are all offshore, uh, I'm, I'm assuming, because I know it's still illegal except for the provinces in Canada to to run it. But there is plans. What do you know about the opening a little bit about sports betting in, in, in Canadian legislation? Yeah, well, it's opening a lot in Ontario right now. It's becoming really mainstream. You know, I think that Basically, the, the laws are catching up with the technology. The technology predated the, the ability to change the laws by about 10 years. So uh, the, the era of calling a bookie or the era of you know, buying a physical ticket out of a printed printing machine are going to come to an end. Um, and so the ability to make those wagers from your phone in real time exists today. The technology exists today. So that brings out a whole bunch of opportunities to get people to watch the games with greater interest, which is why the NFL is so um, successful. People watch games that they have no real interest in because they have a fantasy team or because they have a wager, a, a legal wager today on the game. And so, you know, legal responsible gaming within your entertainment limits, I fully embrace and support. And I understand how uh, those, those things are, um, are elements that lead to greater support for the game and, and greater viewership for the game, especially at a time where there are so many other things to watch and do and stream. Um, you do need to have additional, you know, sort of features to get people to be interested at the level they used to be in the seventies, let's say when there were fewer choices to make. True. Except sports, live sports is still one of the ones that people have uh, appointment viewing that's sort of the last bastion of tv watching or streaming. totally right you're totally you're totally right um about that except that the you know younger people today have choices that we didn't have so now you still need live sports to be at the top of the list for them to care enough to watch the game and not just binge stream four seasons of game of thrones in two nights so um that's that's kind of the challenge I want to bring uh, up the actual stadium and the in-stadium in experience at Seattle. I know you've been many times over the last few uh, weeks back and forth. Um, so uh, let's talk. Is there any Jewish food served at the Kraken uh, home arena? I don't know. There's food that Jews like. Um, <laughs> I don't know. If it's, no, but there's no kosher, there's no kosher food. I'm, I'm pretty sure there's no kosher food at the, at the, in the arena. And... Uh, you know, there's Starbucks, which is like a big thing and throwing the fish uh, when you go to Pike Place and, and all that. Did you have to learn all this stuff about this sort of Seattle culture when you started to be involved? You know, and is there anything Jewishy that you have um, learned since you're there? I'm learning about Seattle. Um, I'm meeting really by accident. Uh, well, I shouldn't say that. I'm meeting some by accident members of the Jewish community and I've had reach out from members of the B'nai B'rith in Seattle who have reached out to me by email or by DM. So I will meet people in the Jewish community because they've reached out uh, as Jewish community people do when they see a Jewish person coming into their community. So I do appreciate that. And there are members of the ownership group who are Jewish. So, um, and as far as the traditions are concerned in Seattle, I'm just learning, you know? So I think the people of Seattle, they appreciate that I'm, you know, 
on Twitter saying, hey, if you're from Seattle, follow me. Um, let me follow your tweets so I could see what you guys are, are tweeting about. And I could, you know, I could get a sense of, uh, of history. So yeah, I've watched Seahawks games and Mariners games um, in my lifetime, but I haven't ever had an attraction or a reason to be um, loyal and attracted to Seattle other than over the last three years where I've been to Seattle many times. So yeah, I'm learning all that stuff and I'm really enjoying learning it. I've, you know, I've been going now almost every other week. I'm going to try to spend a week a month there when there's a decent sized homestand. Or an Eagles game, uh, an Eagles uh, concert, which you went to. Yeah, I went, I, I saw the Foo Fighters. That was the first event that we had. And then the night, the next night we had Coldplay open the arena officially. They were awesome. And then uh, after we had a few home games, we had the Eagles for two nights. Uh, they played the entire album Hotel California in order. And then they played all their hits. They played for more than two and a half hours. It was really beautiful. Wow. Nobody wants to hear new stuff anyway, honestly, <laughs> when you have legacy. It was bands. great. Yeah, they played all their greatest hits. It was, I think, I think that, I think that Hotel California and Eagles Greatest Hits are two of the three or four uh, biggest selling albums of all time. So I basically heard every song that was, you know, in their greatest hits and every song on Hotel California. It's pretty amazing. Do you get to actually practice on any of the practice sites? I know you, you used to play hockey. Do you still play twice a week in your I play once a week and I've played. Um, so we have a practice facility, which we have three rinks on beautiful practice facility, probably the nicest in the NHL. Um, and definitely obviously the newest in the NHL. So I skate there every time I go to Seattle. Um, really, really nice. I skate with Jerry Bruckheimer. We go together. So we, we plan our trips sort of together. Then we plan to bring uh, our hockey equipment and then we, find out what times the ice is not being used by the team. Um, and then we skate with the coaches from the Kraken hockey school. We have a hockey school. We have a thousand, uh, th thousand new young skaters and hockey players uh, registered in this hockey school. And we've got four coaches. One of them played pro hockey. Two of them, one of them played junior hockey and two of them are women who played, uh, who were both captains of their women's team, one at Princeton and one at Colgate. And um, so we play with them. It's amazing. So you don't have to pay for ice time. <laughs> you don't have to pay for ice time. No, uh, that's one of the perks of being the owner. I kind of paid for the ice time, but yeah, I know what you mean. It's one of the perks of being the owner of the place. Listen, it's, it's speaking amazing. about this, yeah. go ahead, go ahead. That's yeah, an amazing perk. And I, I don't want to take advantage of too many of the potential perks, but that's one where um, we really do get a lot of enjoyment out of it. What's the name of the owner's box where you sit when you watch games or concerts? Yeah, well, it's just David Bonderman's suite. And uh, we don't... <laughs> <laughs> we haven't named it. It has a blank plaque outside it. And um, that's, that's, uh, but that's how he is really. He's, um, he's low key. He doesn't, um, yeah, he's not seeking attention. Of course, if you're going to be an owner of an NHL team, and if you're going to be the founder of TPG, and you're going to be well known, but he doesn't care um, about, you know, getting publicity and exposure. He's been, he's done some great interviews for the, you know, the local Seattle paper. He's been on the cover of the Hockey News. Um, everyone knows who he is. If you're in business and you're in investing, you, you know who David Bonderman is. What position do you play? Last night I played every position because we had an extra forward. So I played, uh, I played center left and right, but I usually play left wing or center. Okay. And you mentioned the practice facility. You mentioned there's a thousand kids. I want to ask you about the website of the Kraken because I was looking at it last night. And for someone who grew up in hockey, I played hockey, you know, badly um there's a, a hockey 101 section i don't know if you've seen it where they basically break down the game for people who are 
it's not only people who are new rookie to the game, but you know, why did that decision, why was that decision taken to teach? If, if I may say, it sounds like yeah. teaching people in Seattle parts of the game, which I haven't seen on other websites. Well, first of all, they haven't had a professional, well, they haven't had a national hockey league team in a hundred years. Okay. And we're a team that played in the Stanley cup for a hundred years. So we're going to assume that there are a number of fans that are joining uh, hockey for the first time, excited to have a team, excited with the logo, excited to wear the Jersey, excited to come to climate pledge, but they're unclear about what icing is, what too many men are, what's hooking. Um, you know, I think it's easy to figure out what tripping is or what cross-checking is, but there's a lot of other elements of the game that are not simple to figure out. Uh, how the players change on the fly. A lot of people that I meet, they say, well, how do they figure out when, how do they know when they're supposed to go on the ice, right? Now that to you and I seems, to you and me seems quite obvious, but it's not obvious. Or do they go um, in a planned time or can they only go after the whistle or how come he jumped off and he jumped on? So these are like really good questions. And so I find that not only on the website, but John Forsland, who's one of the top um, broadcasters in the NHL, he does an amazing job at talking to sophisticated, lifelong hockey fans during the broadcast. And then also, you know, teaching what that was for those that, and without talking down to the, to the, to the seasoned fan, he does it perfectly. So um, Everett Fitzhugh also, who's our play-by-play um, -play on radio, does the same. They're both amazing. So we think we need to, in a, in a polite, respectful way, teach the game to those who don't know the game. But I do think, being, having been at a bunch of the games, um, the fans do know when to cheer. They absolutely know when to cheer. And although they're cheering almost all the time because they're just in a frenzy right now, but they, they do know, you know, when, when to cheer and they do know, um, you know, when we're on the power play, when we're shorthanded, um, when a player's offside. So yeah, all the basic stuff. I think the, most of the fans understand. Listen, it's helpful for me too. It's one of the things yesterday was uh, our goalies weird. I love that. It's that's yeah. the thing. <laughs> but you so know, are you, also, you know, I've watched, I don't know how many thousands of NFL football games and how many times is a flag being thrown that I can't believe that a referee actually saw it, right? And so I could ask someone, hey, how did you know, right? Well, I guess you, you have to really, really be watching the game and there's so many referees watching. So hockey, hockey fans who are just learning the game have all the same questions, right? And so it's, it's, um, it's worthwhile teaching it. When are you getting to do a guest slot as a play-by-play -play or color commentator? No, I would never. You yeah, can do never. it. You did it so many years. How many years? Yeah. Were like nine years on the air. Yeah, I did it. But um, you know what's actually fulfilling for me right now is um, doing guest spots on French television and radio here in Quebec about the Kraken. So that's fulfilling for me um, because I know I have something to add that sort of no one else in Quebec has to add. Um, you know, me doing color or me, you know, me on TV in, in the States or in Canada um, there's lots of people like me, but in Quebec to be able to do it in French and to be able to share my experience. I really enjoy that. Uh, I guess we could, you, you opened the door. So we'll ask, you said, je m'ennuie, right? Yesterday mm -hmm. in your, in your, um, in your tweets. Yeah. What'd I say? Je m'ennuie de bonjour. Hi. Yeah. So, um, we had the, 35,000 followers. So you have a lot of, I've been watching, you know, all year you've been debating and standing up for French and criticizing 
And, you know, you have a role not only in sports, but in the culture of, of Quebec society as well. And it's a very important, powerful role to have. Yeah, well, thank you for asking that question. And, and, and people should know that we don't have any planned kind of uh, questions. And, I, and I, that's why I appreciate it. So I think I have, uh, I don't want to say split personality because that's a, a mental health issue, but I have kind of two personas. Um, one is the Anglo businessman. Um, and, and philanthropist, and I want to throw that out there because I want people to, 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 to understand the power of giving, giving whatever they can, time or money. Um, and then I have this, this French side of me that wants to take on social issues in Quebec, whether it's LGBT, Indigenous, uh, systemic racism, Bill 21, um, more French, uh, Bill 96 and what's wrong with it and what's right with it. In my view, right, there is no right and wrong. And you can see by all the answers on Twitter, people are super hostile towards me, which, you know, it's fine. I tweet in my own name. Um, I get quite frustrated with those who tweet anonymously because I think that it's, it's an unfair, you know, it's like boxing in the dark, but the other guy is, it has night vision goggles. It's kind of unfair, right? So well, yeah. I've blocked so, a lot of them this week too. <laughs> I'm trying to, but you know, I don't have time for that. But um so yeah, so 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 it was the Mike Russo Air Canada affair, and so after you know a thousand articles about it and maybe ten thousand hours of talk radio and and TV about it, I just wrote to be funny. I missed the bonjour high controversy. Um, I thought that was funny. You know, sometimes I'm the only one who thinks I'm funny, but that's you know that's okay. I, I want to bring back. Um in now Irv Oster. Irv, can you, I'm so sorry that it took so long to come to you. We have lots more to talk about, but okay. you mentioned that you were teaching. So Irv, I'm going to ask you to turn your camera on if you can. I don't know if I'm allowed here. There you go. He may not even be there anymore. There. Irv, maybe he went for coffee because he got oh, mad at me. Oh, there he is. Okay. Good. Okay. So Irv is a Canadian and not only Canadian, North American hockey expert, Israel hockey, Israel sports. Welcome, Irv, to the CJN Daily. And I'm bringing him on because of what you mentioned that you have hadn't had a, uh, a professional NHL hockey team uh, in Seattle for uh, a century. Um, and that's why I have Irv here, because uh, there was October 26th was the game with Montreal where the banner was raised. You were mm -hmm. there. Um, before we bring Irv in, can you describe what it was like being in that arena when that happened? It was amazing. You know, people were asking me, well, how do you cheer against the Canadians? And I said, well, you know, I, I love the Canadians of the 70s. I love my hometown of Montreal, which makes you a Canadians fan. But then I told them, well, you know, what if your son was drafted by the Bruins and tonight was his first game uh, and he was playing against the Canadians? Who would you root for? Well, you know, I, I this is kind of like my new uh, child. This is something that I've participated in, not from the start, but almost from the start, because Bruckheimer and Bonderman go back 12 years trying to get an NHL franchise. But this is something that I'm invested in and vested in. And I know all the employees, all the management, all the people who work at the team. And so um, it was amazing to receive the Canadians. Um, I took a few um, well-known Montreal media for dinner the night before. I won't name them, but we had a beautiful dinner in Seattle. And, um, and I watched the flood, the, the, you know, the, the flag go up. And I thought that was really beautiful to celebrate the 1917 Seattle Metropolitan's victory over the Canadians. And then we beat the Canadians. And that, you know, was, um, I was just, a, look, it was a great, great night. 
um, you know, not to beat the Canadians, but to win at home, um, to raise the banner. And for the Seattle fans to see the Blue Blanc Rouge, they do know that, right? It's like the Yankees, Red Sox, Canadians, Lakers, Celtics. That's what it, Manchester United, whoever, that's, that's who we are in Montreal. So it was a source of pride for me. And, you know, it was the only victory. Well, we've, got, yeah, we've got four victories now, but. Oh, four, seven, four, eight and one. Yeah. Right. Sorry. My bad. Uh, but there was a Jewish Canadian angle to the Seattle historic hockey team. And I'm going to send it over to Irv to bring it up. I'm sure you know, but if not, Irv, take it away. Well, it, it's first of all, I just wanted to add something, Mitch. I was here in Ottawa when we got our hockey team, like when we re-entered the NHL and we also played the Montreal Canadiens and we also won. <laughs> we didn't win very many other games, but I, I can certainly empathize with the euphoria that you must have felt with this. And most people in Ottawa, at least half of us, were Montreal Canadiens fans. I was a Montreal Canadiens fan all my life and we had a, a an ongoing debate. My my late mother-in-law would call us from Montreal every time the Canadians and the Senators were playing. So it was mm -hmm. always a lot of fun. Anyway, when I, when, I, when I was doing some research on the, uh, on the Jewish hockey stuff and I saw that there were Jewish owners of the, of the, the Seattle Kraken team, I, I thought about um, this fellow that I, that I did some research on. I had an uncle from Kirkland Lake, Ontario. And he, was, he told me, he says, you know, if you're interested in Jewish hockey, you better do Porky Levine. And I thought to myself, he's got to be pulling my leg. How could there possibly been a professional hockey player by the name of Porky Levine? And I started doing research and more research. And indeed, there was. Uh, there was a, he, his family arrived in Montreal from Russia. They went to northern Ontario, as many Jewish families did. North Bay, Kirkland Lake, Timmins, Capus Casing, these places. And he got involved in professional hockey at a young age. And he was signed by the Detroit Cougars. And um, the Detroit Cougars were the, uh, the team that were the Victoria Cougars, who were the last team to win the, uh, the Stanley Cup that were not an NHL team. And Detroit interests bought the team because that league had folded. Along with them came a player that, that played for the Seattle Metropolitan, Frank Foyston. And when the Seattle team that was playing in the Western Hockey League, their goalie, um, went down they needed a goalie really really badly uh the detroit cougars agreed to lend porky levine to the seattle eskimos at the time and so porky had never played a professional game the way it worked was that uh the detroit olympia hadn't been built yet and the uh there were two or three pro teams that were playing in windsor you know and and uh so goalies were a, a commodity and and Porky filled in for all these teams when he had to so he didn't see an NHL minute but he certainly played exhibition games and preseason games for the Cougars so they knew he was good and um, I guess Foyston used his influence when they knew his friends in Seattle needed a goalie and needed a goalie quickly they offered him as a loner so he went out to Seattle and he played and um, and he did quite well he did quite well. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that you focus, you know, I'm obviously I'm not focused on, you know, uh, the, the Jewish side of, of hockey, but I think that Jewish people, we have we have one sort of um, 
it's almost a politically incorrect reflex, which is, which is, you know, we in Seattle signed Jaden Schwartz. What do you think I'm thinking, right? <laughs> you know, or Matthew Schneider, so um, who was Jewish? But so I, you know, so I'm thinking, hey, is Jaden Schwartz Jewish? You know, I didn't, I didn't look into it. I, I, I'm pretty sure he's not. But the, the point is, we do have that, that reflex that as soon as you hear a name that sounds remotely Jewish, uh, we ask ourselves, hey, you think he's Jewish? That's really funny that you say that. I did that too. Everybody did it. Everyone did that. And I looked it up. Jaden Schwartz, not a Jew. <laughs> a lot of players at the time, not only in hockey, but in baseball and in football as well, they changed their names and tried to hide the fact that they were Jewish. But uh, Levine never did that. He, he, he stood up to, and the nickname, he, he, was, he was a junior hockey player in Northern Ontario and they were playing at a, at a place and they, they had a big dinner for the and of course the, the main course was made was roast pork and he <laughs> he told me so excuse me i said i'll pass on the main dinner tonight and he got the nickname porky levine from that and it stuck all the way through so who's the who's the sandy koufax of hockey like who's the who's the greatest jewish hockey i mean probably there is no sandy koufax of hockey because he's that great but who, who's, the, who's the who's the who's the best jewish hockey player you think i i guess in the big picture, I would probably have to say Matthew Schneider right now. He had a long career and, and, and a good career. Like he, he wasn't a marginal player. Even at the end, he wasn't a marginal player. So you got to respect that. You get, you know, almost 20 years into the NHL, you win a Stanley Cup, you've been on a few all-star teams, you know. I assume also that like, you know, if you look back to the era of uh, Howie Morenz and then the Rocket, that the, and, and hockey was a Canadian sport. Uh, the original six, most of the players were from Canada. And then most of the Jews in Canada came from Eastern Europe from, let's say, for argument's sake, 1900 to 19, you know, before World War II, the, the, that generation. So I'm assuming that that's the re one of the reasons why there were so few Jewish players is because, first of all, the Jews were just arriving. Second of all, they were arriving with no money and no work and, you know, playing hockey outside probably wasn't a priority at the time, or maybe they couldn't afford to play hockey outside. Yeah. One of the other reasons is, is, uh, is our emphasis on education. And, and that has been a Jewish thing from time immemorial. And the reality is that until very recently, the direct way to the National Hockey League, if you were serious about becoming a player, you played major junior hockey in Canada. And you left high school. And, and uh, was really, there was really, right. There was really no option, and uh, and now you're seeing more Jewish kids in the game because the NCAA has now made scholarships available to people, and and now people are having second like another when when you have to make that decision at 16, 17. I was a high school teacher, so I I had kids. I saw them having to struggle with this. The minute you step on the ice and in, in, for an OHL team, you can't your your scholarship is gone. So. So you, you play in the NCAA mm -hmm. and you have a shot. You, and, and if you don't make it to the NHL, you've got like a really, really good American college education to fall back on. That's what I, so I, I advise a lot of young people, Jewish and not Jewish, um, about uh, athletic scholarship. And some of them do have a chance to be drafted, generally speaking, hockey players. Um, and I say exactly what you just said, there is no downside. Actually, there's only upside because if you graduate a good U.S. college and you played hockey for the for the team, 
you're like a, whether our society is right or wrong, you know, giving athletes this, this stature, the reality is that when you walk into that interview at Goldman Sachs or at Royal Bank or whatever, and you played for Yale, um, you stand out more than uh, the guy who didn't, let's just say, for argument's sake. Um, so, yeah, 100% NHL, so what, you know? As a matter of fact, Irv is writing a book about Samuel Porky Levine. Mm. And so uh, this is very exciting for him to meet with you about this. And there's another Jewish angle. Quick, quick, before we, we end. And this is because during uh, the Second World War, um, there was, and he's going. I'm going to be on the national news tonight about it because he's oh. in my book, uh, who was drafted by the bus, uh, who was, sorry, he wasn't drafted. He was from Montreal, Lachine, and he was given a... Uh, invitation to come down to try out with the Boston Bruins in 1939-1940. But he did not because after the Quebec championships, where they came all the way to the finals and he, they came, they, Sherbrooke beat them, Moses, Samuel Moe Hurwitz said, how could I um, play hockey when millions of my brothers are being murdered by the Nazis? So he went overseas as a tank uh, in the tank corps and became the most highly decorated non-commissioned officer in the armored corps uh, during the Second World War. Sadly, he didn't come home. Um, mm. And so that is uh, something that I don't know if most people realize. That. So anyway, that's my story. But um, yeah. Irv, uh, did you want to talk about uh, Larry Zydell before we go? Oh, yeah, I know Larry. I, I <laughs> well, my, because my, his my brother father... died in the war and yeah. Larry was the baby. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. Well, my, uh, I, was think, I was trying to find whether there were any other uh, Seattle connections for you to hockey. There was, of course, you've, everybody's heard of Zydell. My, my father used to call Zydell the Michigan. And because uh, uh, he had quite a reputation and he got into all kinds of crazy things. But you know what? He won a Stanley Cup for the Red Wings. He played a long time. He was, uh, Ed Snyder brought him back to Philadelphia when, with expansion. He, he, he has, if not the longest, almost the longest span between playing NHL games. Like he, he stopped playing in the mid 1950s and then he came back to the NHL in 1968 with expansion, which is incredible. And he held his own for at least a year and a half before they decided, I think he was 38 or something when he retired. Uh, there was one other fellow that I found from Seattle as well that played junior hockey, but not too, too many others. You know, it'll be interesting to see, um, you know, in 20 years from now, um, how many Jewish athletes there are. So we'll be, you know, by then we'll be, let's say, 60, 70 years away from where Jews weren't able to join golf clubs. Now you'll, you should have Jewish golfers rising. Jews wouldn't have been joining posh tennis clubs. Um, so you'll have, you know, more, like it takes maybe 70, 80 years to develop you know, top rated uh, talent. Uh, hockey, because of the NCAA and Canadian college and the ability to get top rate education and play really high level, high level hockey. So it'll be, it'll be actually um, an interesting study. Maybe you and I won't be around for it, but uh, <laughs> someone will do it. I definitely think that the educational aspect has made a huge difference. That's been so interesting to hear this. I know you probably have the two of you can nerd out offline yeah. and, and continue yeah, this great conversation. I'm, I'll hook uh, I'll hook you guys up. But I thank do you. want to thank her for bringing all this to me, to my attention. Well, I, I brought it to you. You brought it to me. So I'm so happy that you guys had the chance to meet and me talk too. about uh, this important Jewish history. And again, um, I also want to ask one final question, Mitch. How are you going to fix the Habs? 
No, I'm not going to fix the Habs, but <laughs> I, 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 um, I really respect Jeff Molson and um, he, he's, you know, in many ways, he's done really great business for Montreal. And I'm not just saying that because, uh, you know, I'm a minority owner and he's, you know, he's a principal owner, but um, he, he's bought all the entertainment entities around Quebec. He brought the Canadians back into the hands of, you know, a family that really respects and appreciates Quebec and hockey in Quebec and the red, white, and blue and what it stands for. Of course, the performance of the team is disappointing. I think Jeff would be the first one uh, to tell you that. Um, but, you know, he knows what he's doing. He understands. He played college hockey. He played at St. Lawrence. Uh, he still plays. We play in the same league, although we haven't played against each other yet. I've missed a bunch of games. He's missed a bunch of games, but we'll, we'll find the, and he's a better hockey player than I am, but we'll, we'll, we'll be playing against each other soon, hopefully. What league is it called? Well, we're playing the LCC Old Boys League, but I didn't go to LCC. But my kids went, and so they, they've allowed me to play. I've got some kind of special dispensation. That's how, we, okay. And, and did your kids ever want to do professional sports? I don't know if they wanted to, but they, I mean, we're not, none of us are good enough to have considered professional sports. So one's in law school, one's in undergrad. And um, yeah, we're doing okay. Listen, it's been really great fun to have you, and uh, I hope we'll talk again as the season goes. Thank you both so much for being on the CJN Daily. Thank you for being here with us uh, today, Mitch, and um, good luck. Well, thank go you. Cracking, I go happens. Go, go cracking. I just want to tell you that, you know, I, I do do a lot of podcasts, and this is really in the very, very, very top of the most enjoyable ones that I've done, and I had no expectation and no... Uh, preconceived notions about it. So I'm happy that you reached out to me and I'm happy that you brought Irv and uh, it was really, really a pleasure to be here.